Messiah has kicked off a new era in the biblical story. Let's review what we've learned so far before we jump into what the Bible has to say about the future on The Bible Brief. We wanted to kick off this podcast by saying to each and every one of our listeners, thank you. Thank you for telling others about The Bible Brief. We're continuing to see our download numbers grow. And for a brief period of time, we were on the top 10 chart in the country of Jamaica among religious shows. Thank you to our Jamaican listeners who made that happen. To all our new listeners, we wanted to say welcome to the show. This is a show brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit that exists to help people learn the life-changing story and message of the Bible. We're dedicated to helping people like you truly grasp the big, beautiful, connected story and to communicate it to you in ways that help you remember it. We don't want you to just hear the story. We want you to learn it. That's why we created the Bible Brief. Finally, we have something to ask each and every one of you who love this podcast. Would you think right now about one person that you could tell about the Bible Brief? And then pause the podcast and send them a link in a text. Tell them why you think they'd love the show. Then come back and take a listen to this review. If every one of our listeners did that, there's no telling where this podcast could go. Thanks for being part of the Bible Brief team. Okay, so let's get back into the Bible. Starting in episode 62, we began the New Testament, the era where we saw the Messiah finally revealed to the world in the person of Jesus. And we traced the life and ministry of Jesus from heaven, down to earth, down to the grave, and then resurrecting from the grave and ascending back to heaven. After that, we saw the Holy Spirit work through the apostles and other disciples to grow the church made of Jews and Gentiles. We also saw the Holy Spirit work through the writers of the New Testament letters to help people in the dispersed church understand some of the important aspects of the gospel and the righteousness of God. We've covered a lot in just a little bit of time. So today, we'll just briefly review some of the points and highlights of our jog through the New Testament so far. So let's go. In several places, the writers of the New Testament ensure that we recognize that Jesus was not a creation of God, but that Jesus is God himself. And in our first episode in the New Testament, we got a snapshot of the conversation that God the Son had with God the Father before he left heaven to come to earth as a man. God the Son was going to take on a human body, and with that human body, he was going to accomplish the ultimate atonement. And so we saw Jesus born in the town of Bethlehem to Mary, a virgin woman betrothed to Joseph, both of whom would raise Jesus as he grew from a baby into a man. Jesus was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God the Son took on a human body and became subject to the wants and needs of a body. He got hungry, tired, experienced pain, all the things that we humans experience. But despite this, he didn't join the rest of humanity in one thing. Jesus did not sin. Now, we learned a lot more about Jesus when he's about the age of 30, when he begins his public ministry, a ministry announced by the prophet John. Remember, John was in Judea baptizing people and preparing for the Messiah. He was immersing them in water as a sort of sign that they were turning away from their sins. He also talked about how the Messiah would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit rather than with water like John did. Well, at one point, Jesus is announced as the one that John had been talking about. But John announces him in a peculiar way and says when he sees Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Apparently, John understands the purpose of God the Son taking on a human body. Then we saw various confirmations of the identity of Jesus by God the Father, God the Spirit, and Jesus himself as he proves his godly perfection by resisting temptations by Satan. Now, being confirmed, Jesus gets to work, and he starts by calling disciples to help him in his work. In our jog through, we focused especially on the disciple Peter, who is called from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. Jesus says to Peter, follow me, and Peter leaves his fishing nets to follow Jesus. A positive response to a call by Jesus. And there are many who positively respond to the message that Jesus begins to preach in Judea. Jesus preaches a message about the coming kingdom of God and provides descriptions of citizens of the future kingdom in his famous Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, he also explores the true righteous requirements of the law that God gave the nation of Israel. He provides the common understanding of the law and then corrects it, demonstrating that the law can't be followed simply externally, but must be followed from the heart, something that no one can do. Jesus showed that following the law was unattainable even for the most strictly religious people like the Pharisees, that sect of Jews who had rule upon rule added to the law to ensure measurement and enforcement. He said that being a citizen of the kingdom of God required even more righteousness than the Pharisees apparently had. And over time, these religious leaders, among others, didn't take kindly to Jesus' message. They became living examples of the parable Jesus told of the tax collector and the Pharisee. In that parable, the tax collector humbly comes before God asking for mercy, while the Pharisee doesn't believe he needs mercy from God. Jesus says that the tax collector was declared righteous by God, while the Pharisee was not, something that surely upset some of his listeners. Well, remember the Pharisees kept asking, who is this? as they questioned his authority to say things he said about the law, about his healing of people, and his ability to forgive sin. Well, after this, the Pharisees and other religious leaders finally crystallize their response. They decide to launch a plot to put Jesus to death. And Jesus knows what's coming. In a final meal with his disciples before his death, he even indicates this as he comes to institute the long-expected new covenant. A covenant prophesied in the Old Testament that finally comes to fruition in Jesus. In the Passover meal that he eats with the disciples, he announces that this new covenant is instituted in Jesus' own blood. Not by the blood of animals like prior covenants, but with his own blood. The new covenant, which would write the law on the hearts instead of stone tablets, was being instituted. And soon, after a night full of activity, we see Jesus betrayed by a disciple, condemned by the religious leadership, and condemned by the Roman governor. While earlier that week, a crowd welcomed Jesus to Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna to the son of David, another crowd was now shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! And so the Son of God is crucified on a cross, demonstrating in his body and blood the love of God for a sinful world. A love so deep that the Son of God leaves heaven, takes on a body, takes condemnation though innocent, and ultimately takes the death penalty reserved for sinners. God the Son does this because it's the only way to reconcile humans to God. Rather than leave people in their sin, God made a way for a renewed relationship with Him. But Jesus, 
doesn't stay dead. On the third day, Jesus resurrects from the grave to the surprise of many, despite telling his disciples that he would do that very thing. And he appears to hundreds of people over the next 40-ish day period, including the disciple Peter whom he graciously restores, despite Peter's previous denials of Jesus. And then, just before he ascends to heaven, he gives what's called the Great Commission. The commission to preach the gospel to all nations. This message through which all the nations of the world can be blessed through Jesus, Abraham's seed. Then, Jesus ascends to heaven. But he's not done. A little over a week later, Jesus does what John said he would do. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. God's presence fills the disciples in that upper room in Jerusalem as they become temples of the Holy Spirit. And they begin to proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem by the power of God. And many, many people come to faith in Jesus. Soon, though, they experience persecution. And Stephen becomes the first martyr of the growing church. One of these persecutors was the man Saul, who we came to know as the Apostle Paul. After a miraculous experience of Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul's life is turned upside down as he becomes a believer. No longer does he persecute Christians. Instead, he's soon persecuted himself. In the midst of this persecution, however, something monumental happens in the church through the Holy Spirit. We discussed an episode where Peter is told to go to the house of a Gentile, where, upon hearing the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in Gentiles too. Here we see explicitly that God is saving Gentiles by this message too. The gospel is truly universal and truly for all nations of the world. In our last several episodes, we discussed some of the main points and letters to the growing church. And I'll simply repeat the main points from those episodes. First, we saw that the law that God gave the nation of Israel was being decommissioned in favor of a better law, a law written upon the heart by the Holy Spirit. The law given to Israel pointed to Messiah, and now that he had come, the law of Israel was decommissioned as the rule for life. Messiah had brought Law 2.0 and written it on the heart of believers with the Holy Spirit. Next, we saw that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And it's powerful because it reveals the righteousness of God. It both reveals God's righteous wrath against sin and reveals God's righteous love in providing a means for salvation for sinners. Further, just like Abraham, anyone can be credited the righteousness of God by putting their faith in Jesus. In our next few episodes, we explored the relationship between grace, faith, righteousness, and good works, which I'll summarize by just briefly providing a sentence for you to memorize. Here it is. By God's grace, believers are declared righteous through faith in Jesus, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we do good works that he's prepared for us. Okay, let me say that again. By God's grace, believers are declared righteous through faith in Jesus, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we do good works that he has prepared for us. That may be a mouthful, but if you memorize that, it will help you keep things straight in your mind as you read through the letters of the New Testament. Okay, so where does that leave us? Well, it leaves believers with the same mission that the disciples had. Preach the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations of the world. Do the works that God has prepared. 
And in the meantime, Jesus is preparing. Preparing for the final act of world history. Preparing for what is called the Day of the Lord. Join us next time as we look forward in time and discuss what the Bible has to say about the future. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Have you donated to the Bible Literacy Foundation? We'd love for you to partner with us so that we can expand our reach and grow. Your support means more people will have access to the life-changing story and message of the Bible. The easy way to donate is to click the link in the show notes to this episode. Alternatively, you can go to our website, BibleLiteracyFoundation.com, and click Donate. Thank you for making this show possible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022